So we are still in the Kingdom Come series, um, based and outlined on the book Seek First by Jeremy Treat. Uh, and so I'll always be referencing uh, some of the things that he references and the kind of the points and headings follow his, uh, his chapters. Uh, I was thinking the other day that not, uh, not everyone may be keeping up in the book, uh, so I know that that's a thing, uh, but as your pastor, I'm telling you, read this book. Um, because when I read it, I thought, man, this is, I want everybody in our church to read this, to help understand uh, our philosophy as a church, being kingdom-minded, uh, having, seeking God's kingdom as our very first primary value. Um, the book does a, just a really good job of just kind of fleshing that out. What does that mean? Why is it important? What's our role in it? What does it look like? Um, and so if you're behind, if you haven't started, whatever, get a copy uh, and just read it, okay? Um, it's going to help you, I think, to re- just embrace um, who we are as a church as well uh, and who you are as a believer uh, as God has called you. So today, uh, well, last week we talked about justice. God is a God of justice. We are to be people of justice. Um, we're to listen, learn, speak, and act, um, not just to sit back, not just to um, not participate in injustice, but to actively pursue justice. <clears throat> that if God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice and he executes his reign through us, then we are kind of his agents of justice, right? Today we move from the kingdom purpose section of the book to the kingdom people section of the book. So it starts to talk about our identity, our calling, our roles uh, as citizens of the kingdom and how that plays out. And we'll start today with a look at our identity as sons and daughters. Uh, Our base text for today is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And so I'll read this for us and then we'll unpack some stuff together. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So there is a lot there. Um, We're going to look just more specifically kind of at uh, adoption, sonship, inheritance, Um, Not unpack all of that amazingness, Um, but that's kind of just our foundation for what we're talking about today. And as we talk about sons and daughters, I want to begin with this foundational truth. We become children of God through Jesus. A lot of people say we're all God's children because we're all human, we're all created by him. And I think I know what they mean by that in the same sense that my neighbor or Hulk Hogan would call everybody brother, right? Hey, brother, how you doing, brother? 
um, outside of the church. Like it's just kind of a term that you might use because we're all kind of in this brotherhood of humanity or the family of humanity. And so I, I understand that. But when it comes to be, being children of God, really, Scripture is pretty consistent about only referring to those who have new life in Jesus as children of God. In fact, there's some pretty harsh terminology reserved for those who are not believers in Jesus. Apart from him, we're called objects of wrath. We're called enemies of God. These are not great terms that you would call your neighbor, probably, right? Or someone that uh, you would just use as a term of endearment. And so the term children of God, brothers and sisters, it's reserved for those who are in Christ. We just read in Ephesians 1 that we're adopted as children through Jesus. John 1.12 also says that to all who received Jesus, all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then Galatians 3.26, Paul writes again, In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So we can become children of God, but only by faith in Jesus. If you have received Jesus, you've believed in his name, you're a son or daughter of God and a brother or sister of every other believer and a co-heir with Jesus to the kingdom of heaven. Pretty amazing. I want to recognize, as the book does, that it can be difficult for many people to see God as Father uh, as a good thing. Uh, This can be due to, to absentee fathers or broken relationships with fathers or simply because all earthly fathers are imperfect. But in God, we have a perfect heavenly Father who is all of the good things that a father is supposed to be with none of the negative or broken aspects. As Treat points out, a good father creates a relationship that encourages both intimacy and reverence. Intimacy without reverence amounts to sentimentalism. Reverence without intimacy can lead to a cold submission without relationship. But with God as Heavenly Father, we have intimacy and we show reverence. So let's look then at a few aspects of this relationship we have as children of God. First of all, we're adopted into God's family. Adopted. I love how Treat points out that adopted is a verb, not an adjective. We've been adopted as children and now are children of God. Full stop. We're not any more or less God's children than Jesus is as the Son of God. We're loved with the full love of God and receive the full inheritance and blessing from Him. Again, Ephesians 1.3, which we read moments ago, says we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is why Paul writes that we're adopted as sons and doesn't mention daughters. He does mention daughters in 1 Corinthians when he writes about being sons and daughters of God. But when he writes about our adoption and inheritance, it was sons, culturally, who were listed as heirs. So when he writes these letters to both the female and male believers in the churches in Ephesus and um, in Galatians 3, when he writes, he says sons because both male and female believers are heirs who receive full inheritance from God. And so sonship wasn't just for males in this family of God uh, in the sense of receiving inheritance and being co-heirs with Christ. Um, sonship covers male and female because sonship leads to full inheritance. So ladies, in Christ you are daughters of God who are true, full heirs. Uh, That's why you're included in the idea of being adopted as quote-unquote sons. 
What a blessing to be included in the family of God. We now have a spiritual family that is forever united in Jesus. Our spiritual family will spend eternity together to the glory of God. For now, we love one another as God loves us. We pursue shalom, as we've talked about before, with our spiritual family, this peace. It's not just um, going along to get along or just uh, agreeing to disagree because we can't get along with others. This is pursuing flourishing. Shalom, as we see in Scripture, is, is more than just an absence of conflict. It's the presence of abundance and flourishing. And that's what we're to experience as the family of God. It's our unity and love for each other that testify to those who are far from God that we are his. Jesus prays this in John 17. It's called this, the high priestly prayer. It's this, this prayer of Jesus, the Son of God, to the God the Father, and he prays for unity amongst believers. He prays for love amongst believers because he says, by their love, by their love for one another, the world will see that we belong to God. So they'll see our brotherhood, our sisterhood, our family. We've been given each other as brothers and sisters for each other. We've been gifted to minister to each other, not to minister to ourselves. We're talking about the spiritual gifts that were given to believers. None of the spiritual gifts really are to edify yourself. They're all to be used to minister or bless someone else. We're given 59 one another commands in the New Testament, which speak to how we're to relate to our spiritual family. It's a big deal. And like our earthly family, we don't get to choose it. So let's embrace our roles in God's family, not just the blessings that come with sonship. Speaking of blessings, however, the main blessing we receive in our adoption is access to the king. Access to the king. Treat points out in the book that um, normally the more important or powerful an authority is, the harder it is to gain access to them. He writes that uh, he lives in L.A., and if he tried really hard and made the right connections, he could probably gain audience with the mayor of L.A. But he's like, I could never gain audience with the president of the United States, right? However great the authority is, that much greater, the harder it is to gain access. But in Christ, we have full access to God, the God of the universe. Usually when people meet their idols, they know way more about their idols than the other way around, right? The fans always know way more about the object of worship or the, the star, the celebrity. We're starstruck. We've followed, we've studied, our lives have been changed or impacted by someone's influence, but the star or authority rarely has any knowledge of the fan. Uh, it's kind of like Thanos and Wanda Maximoff, if there's any Avengers fans in here. Um, won't go into too many spoilers. Though she wasn't a fan by any means, her life had been radically transformed by the actions of Thanos. He was really powerful, a huge powerful influence in her life. But he did not concern himself with anyone lesser than him. Wanda meets him, and what does she say? You took everything from me. And what does he say back? It's so cold. It's one of the best, worst lines in all of uh, the Avengers movies. He says, I don't even know who you are. So her life has been devastated, shattered, impacted forever by his actions. And he's like, I don't even know you. Like, you're not even a blip on my radar. Some people have this distant view of God, like he impacts, he manipulates, he influences, but he doesn't concern himself with us. But the opposite is actually true. This great God, all-knowing, all-powerful being in all of the universe 
desires relationship with us, and he knows us better than we even know ourselves. And through Jesus, we have 24-7 unlimited access to him, the highest being in the universe. He welcomes us, he sees us, he hears us, and he cares for us. So not only do we have this unfettered access to the king, but we are now ambassadors of this great king. We're ambassadors of the king. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are ambassadors for Christ, and God is making his appeal through us to be reconciled to him. As sons and daughters of God and ambassadors for Jesus, we represent him in the world. We're to reflect the character of Jesus as image bearers. People should see Jesus in us. They should get a sense of who God is because we look like him. We act like him. We bear a family resemblance. I've been told all my life that I look like my dad, more so when I had hair. There's no question who I belong to. If you've seen him, you see him in me, right? This is how it should be for us as children of God as well. There should be no question who we belong to. If people see us, they should see God in us. The family resemblance should be undeniable, and we should take this responsibility humbly and seriously. It's a new purpose that comes with our new role, our new identity. We attended a, a wedding a few years ago where the father of the groom told everyone that he's always encouraged his family to remember the name on their jersey, that they represent the family together. And now his new daughter-in-law has that name on her jersey. He was telling her that she was both fully welcomed into the family, but also kind of commissioned to represent the family well, right? So he's saying, we've got your back because you're part of our team, you're part of our family, you represent us. When people see you, they think of us. And so he wasn't like threatening her, like, you know, don't besmirch our name. He was just saying, you're part of us now. The name's on your jersey. And you, everything that comes with putting that jersey on um, is yours. So again, with the blessings of being counted as children of God comes the mission of being ambassadors of God. Now, I mentioned earlier that our adoption is forever. Not only is it forever, but it is unshakable. Our new identity is unshakable. What's the difference between forever and unshakable, you might ask? Well, it's kind of like the elves in Lord of the Rings. Um, at least that's what I thought. Um, they're immortal in the sense that they would never die of natural causes, but they can still be killed in battle, right? So if they were just never threatened and kind of just living, like they're kind of immune to disease and will just live, live forever. But if you killed them in battle, they would die. So they can live forever, but they're not unshakable, right? Our identity in Christ is both forever and unshakable. Nothing can challenge or threaten it. This is grounded in the truth that we are in Christ. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit based not on what we can do or have done for God, but what Christ has done for us. His work is permanent, perfect, and unshakable. Therefore, our identity, identity in him, is permanent, perfect, and unshakable. Any truths or promises about us in Christ are part of the every spiritual blessing that we just read about in Ephesians 1. Here's a list from Seek First. Um, I also have a handout that I, I like to use from time to time called Who Am I or Who I Am um, with just this huge long list about who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ. It's a long list of truths about who we are in Christ. This is the list from Seek First. I'm going to read it for us because it's a great, powerful reminder 
of what is true about our identity in Christ. <clears throat> in Christ, I am the salt of the earth. In Christ, I am the light of the world. In Christ, I am a child of God. In Christ, I am declared righteous. In Christ, I am resurrected to new life. In Christ, I am no longer a slave to sin. In Christ, I am dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ, I am under no condemnation. In Christ, I am a new creation. In Christ, I am reconciled to God. In Christ, I am a messenger of reconciliation. In Christ, I am a saint. In Christ, I am holy and blameless. In Christ, I am adopted into the family of God. In Christ, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, I am free from the bondage of sin. In Christ, I am forgiven of my sins. In Christ, I am chosen of God, holy and beloved. In Christ, I am what I am by God's grace. Each of these has a scripture reference. These are promises, truths about us in the word of God. These declarations are 100% true and eternal because Jesus is 100% true and eternal. They are all aspects of our identity in Jesus. And we are to live out our identity. Why do we say haters going to hate? Because that's who they are. That's their identity. We use that phrase, with, we fill in the blanks with different things, right? Like so-and-so is going to so-and-so. Uh, I won't use any names, but uh, it's just a phrase that means that's who they are, so that's what they do. Why would you expect anything different based on their identity? Their actions, their lives flow from their identity. The same goes for believers in Christ. What we do flows from who we are. I love the emphasis from Treat in the book about walking in the identity we already possess in Jesus. In Christianity, we are not working up to or earning a new identity. We have already received a new identity in Christ by faith. <clears throat> There's a book about that, probably a lot of books about that, but the one uh, I read in college that had a big impact on me was called Victory Over the Darkness by Neil T. Anderson. Um, the name may be a little misleading, but the subtitle talks about your identity in Christ, and the whole book is about your identity in Christ. Victory Over the Darkness by Neil T. Anderson. It's a great book which just kind of unpacks who you are, who we are in Christ. So what is forever true about you, what has forever been changed about you, what cannot be taken from you, and it is who you are as a new creation in Jesus. As we walk by faith according to this new identity, our faith increases. Our confidence, our joy, our peace of mind, our humility, they all grow if we hide our lives in Christ, as Paul mentions in Colossians 3. He says, I've, I've died myself. It's no longer I who live. My life is hidden in Jesus. In the book, it's the mindset of I'm with him, right? I can get to places that I normally couldn't get into if I'm with him. And we're reassured by the king of the universe saying of us, they're with me. Right? It's not so much what we've done, it's what God has done, who God declares us to be. And so for the God of the universe to say, they're with me, they're mine, it changes everything about our lives. All of this is eternally true for those who surrender their lives to Jesus by faith. Because it is to those who believe in Jesus, as we read earlier, that he's given the right to become sons and daughters of God. Let's pray.
God, I thank you for this amazing truth this morning. The beautiful picture that you've given us uh, through through this this picture, this image of, of adoption. That we were once not a part of your family. That we were once not sons and daughters of you. And yet, in Christ, through Jesus, you adopt us into your family. And so that when you see us, you see son, you see daughter. And that we have received every spiritual blessing through this adoption. The full inheritance as a full heir of yours, co-heirs with Jesus. Which means, among other things, that if you look at us and we are in Christ, you don't see our imperfection. You don't see our sin, our brokenness. You see the righteousness of Christ. That we have been forever justified by faith in him. And as sons and daughters, you have called us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. You have called us to represent you as ambassadors of your kingdom to the lost and dying world around us. We are ministers of reconciliation, that you are making your appeal to the lost through us that others might be reconciled to you as we've been reconciled to you by faith. Thank you for this new identity that you've given us as sons and daughters. I pray, God, that as as we read and we discussed this morning, that we would walk in this truth. Not that we're striving after or pursuing an identity that we're trying to earn, that we're trying to be good enough, that we're trying to say, I'm worthy of the title you've given me, that we would realize that that is not how it works, but that we would walk in the truth, that if we are in Christ, you see us as fully justified righteous sons and daughters of yours forever, sealed, we read, by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray that this truth would just be on our minds and our hearts as we seek your kingdom, as we try to love one another as the family of God. We try to honor you as we, as we try to live life for you that it wouldn't be a sense of paying you back, but it would be a sense of just living out our family identity, living out who you have repurposed us to be, living out our identity in Christ. I thank you for this. I pray and ask you for these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.